0: Well, good morning, Christhold Fast Gang and friends. Good to be with you here today. Uh, the week before Christmas, I'm officially decked out in my Christmas sweater that was given to me by my mother-in-law, and my wife, the other day. It celebrates one of my favorite Christmas movies, *A Christmas Story*. Uh, So, I wanted to share that with you today, my very Christmassy outlook on life. A week away, I can't believe it's a week away. My goodness gracious, it goes so fast this time of year. And uh, we're actually finishing up our uh, time in Ephesians. Uh, Today we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20. Yes, the book does go all the way to verse 24, but the last few verses are sort of um, greetings and I figured I'd cut it off right at the end of sort of the doctrinal statements that go on. So, Yes, you are right, Barb. It is a great movie. It never gets old for me. And thank you for the compliment, Bonnie. My wife agrees with you. She thinks this is awesome. And whatever I've learned to just accept that whatever my wife thinks looks good on me, indeed looks okay on me. <laughs> so, good morning, Chris. How are you? Uh, so, let's go ahead and dig into... Ephesians chapter 6 we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20 in a passage that is probably familiar to many of you all about spiritual warfare it says this finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. End of reading. Well, uh, whether you realize it or not, whether you like it or not, uh, you are in a battle every day of your life, Um, of course, We've talked about here that you're in a battle, in one sense, with your flesh. The spirit and the flesh are battling it out. Romans 7 and Galatians 5 make that very clear. And then you're, in some sense, there's a battle going on with you and the world, too. Not that you're battling the people around you in the world, but when the Bible uses the term world, it's sort of this overall ethos around you that is often in conflict with uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it's, it's that sort of thing being spoken of here. Sorry, I have to get rid of something. Hello? I hope you're still there. Okay, good. I think you're still here. Anyhow, so uh, we are in this battle between the flesh and the spirit and the the world, but behind those things ultimately uh, is really our ultimate foe, um, and that is the devil and his minions, the uh, demonic realm, fallen angels, whatever you want to call them. So in response to this, we're commanded to, quote, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So first, let's look a little bit, just briefly, at the enemy we face. Uh, Secondly, we'll look at what God has equipped us with to deal with our enemy. Uh, So the enemy, I think there's three major words used to describe our enemy in this text. First, he is called powerful in verse 12. Uh, and we can see that all throughout the scriptures, uh, especially the New Testament. Uh, we're commanded to not take him lightly. Uh, we're commanded to be aware of what he's up to. So, uh, you know, you have passages like Matthew 4 where he tempts Jesus and uh, John 12, 1 John five nineteen, that really describe his power. Uh, Secondly, the devil is wicked. And this is obvious. We don't really need to go over that. But in this passage, he's described as ruling over this present darkness. He and his minions are ruling over this present darkness. They're described as evil. And then the third word, how does he sort of uh, get us to a place where he can tempt us and where he can hurt us, where he can at least try to hurt us? Well, it's really the last word used in this passage that I think is important, and that's he is scheming. He is scheming. And that word could be translated uh, deceitful or tricker. You know, he is, uh, and of course, we see this all throughout the Bible. That's his primary means. I mean, so here's really the the way it works. I mean, the devil, uh, good morning, Megan. The devil comes at you, tempts you with an idea that you know you shouldn't do, but is appealing to you because you are still, you have this flesh in you that's drawn to it. And then you give into it. You give into whatever the desire is, whether it's like giving into a temper tantrum in the moment or whether it's giving into some sort of lust or whatever the case may be. There's a thousand things, right? You give in, you do what you know you shouldn't do because you give into that temptation. And then right after that, right after that, there's a voice accusing you, trying to draw you away from God. Well, if you were a real Christian, you certainly wouldn't do that. And you certainly wouldn't have given into that. Real Christians don't do that kind of thing anymore. And this is the way that, I mean the devil's never stopped working this way. He's never stopped trying to deceive and trick and you are not smart enough to handle them on your own. So Paul says, Paul says we need some weaponry that is that does not come from within, that does not come naturally in order to fight this eternal jerk that keeps on coming up against us. So. How do we stand up to the devil? Paul mentions the word stand four times in the passage in verses 11 through 14. Four times, so it's very important. And we stand by putting on the whole armor of God, made by God, not something that we can muster up from within. It's something that comes from outside of us. It is gift. It is given to us. And uh, the picture you have to have in your mind, I mean, Paul writes this to people that are living in the Roman world. That's what they're picturing, a Roman soldier. So, he lists off the equipment that we need to armor ourselves with. What is that equipment? First of all, the belt of truth. Now, what would a belt do? Well, it holds up everything. So, the soldier is not snagged down by his clothing. Remember, they weren't wearing jeans back then. They weren't wearing Levi's. They were wearing robes. They were wearing some form of vestments, uh, usually in life. Paul says, be put on the belt of truth. Well, what does truth do? Well, Jesus says the truth shall set you free. So if you are living in the light, there is nothing the devil can hold over you. He can't blackmail you. He can't snag you. Living in the truth, even the truth of acknowledging your sin and confessing that you're much worse than people might imagine you to be, is much better than pretending otherwise. So the belt of truth is not merely just saying the belt of believing Jesus is Lord, yes, that's true, but it's also the belt of being truthful about yourself. The belt of being real (laughs) and not pretending that you're holier than you are. Secondly, he says the breastplate of righteousness. What did the breastplate protect? it protected the heart? What does righteousness protect? our hearts against the accuser. Where do we get this righteousness? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Yes, that's correct, Bonnie. Jesus says, I am the truth, and it is through our connection to him that we actually have the ability to tell the truth about ourselves without fear of consequences or fear of judgment, but knowing that because of our connection to him, we have not just truth, but the way and the life. So the breastplate of righteousness protects our hearts. Well, you know, it's easy to read that and go, well, that must mean that we need to have more righteousness. No, we need to have somebody else's righteousness gifted to us. The breastplate of Christ's righteousness protects our hearts against the evil one when the evil one accuses us. So famous quote from Luther, when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, your, your tendency is to shrink away, is to shrink back. But Luther says, now tell him this, I admit that I deserve death and hell, what of it? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, son of God, and where he is there I shall be also. That's Luther putting into effect the breastplate of righteousness. My righteousness isn't my own. My righteousness is given to me from Jesus Christ, and the devil cannot stand against such righteousness. Thirdly, he mentions putting on the shoes of the gospel. Now, what do shoes give one the ability to do? Walk with confidence. Run without fear. What does the gospel of peace do? It gives you the confidence to walk and run without fear spiritually of judgment, of condemnation. If you take time later on after this to look up Isaiah chapter 40, verses 28 through 31, or Titus 2, verses 11 through 14, uh, remember Romans 5 uh, leads to Romans 6. I mean, all of these passages are saying that the gospel of peace, you're anchored in the gospel, and when you're anchored in the gospel, you actually can walk this life in a way without fear of what lies on the path before you. Fourthly, we're called to take up the shield of faith. Now, what does a shield do? Well, it protects you from the flaming arrows of your enemy. What does faith do? It protects you from the flaming arrows of your enemy. (laughs) Again, Luther, faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace. So certain of God's favor that it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy, joyful, and bold in your relationship to God and all creatures. That's what Luther says about faith. And what are the devil's arrows? Well, the devil's arrows are all sorts of things. They're usually accusations about your past. Usually, they're, he's wanting to throw things in your face where you haven't done things the way that you should have, and he wants you desperately to base your relationship with God on those facts, on your failures. The devil's never happier than when you think that your relationship with God depends on your works, past, present, or future. And the way to counteract that, the flaming arrows of the devil, is to remember again the shield of faith. Who is it you believed in? You believed in the one who said on the cross, it is finished, and he meant it. He wasn't messing around. Like Jesus didn't wink when he said it is finished. He didn't have his fingers crossed. He meant it. That's who you believe in, Christian. You know, as Paul says, I know who I, am, I have believed in. And so do you. All right, let's move on. The helmet of salvation. What does the helmet protect? Well, the head. What's in the head? The mind. What does salvation do? Well, <laughs> to quote again, Whether our headpiece is that measure of salvation which we have already received, forgiveness, deliverance from Satan bondage, and adoption into God's family, or the confident expectation of full salvation on the last day, there is no doubt that God's saving power is our only defense against the enemy of our souls. This is a quote from John Stott. So the helmet of salvation protects our mind from believing things wrongly about God and ourselves. Again, notice how every weapon we're given is the gospel. It is the gospel to fight the enemy. Now we get to our first offensive weapon. Everything we've mentioned so far is defensive. It protects us. But we're not merely called just to be defended or protected we're called to fight back. And so Paul says, take up the sword of the spirit. And of course, we know from other passages that passages such as Hebrews 4.12 and Matthew 4.1 through 11, 2 Timothy 3.15 and 16, that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. Now, what this presupposes is that we know the word. We don't have to be theologians, and we don't have to be experts in the word, but the word, the more we know it, the more we have weaponry to fight back against the nonsense that the devil is going to bring at us. And that's our problem a lot of the time, is that we're not sure how to fight back against what he's slinging at us. Again, I'm just going full Luther today because there's so many good quotes about this. He says, quote, experience is required gathered in many kinds of bouts and temptations to be able to meet the devil when he comes and enters into judgment with us, wants us pious and on the basis of the law argues with us about what it means to have done right or not. Before an untried and inexperienced Christian has learned his lesson, the devil has so disturbed him that he must fear and tremble and does not know which way to turn. What does he say then? Therefore, we must learn to cling to Christ's word and comfort alone and permit the devil no argument about our works or piety. One does not gain much ground against the devil with a lengthy disputation, but with brief words and replies such as, I am a Christian of the same flesh and blood as is my Lord Christ, the Son of God. Settle your account with him. Then the devil does not stay long. End quote. Now, the reason I'm quoting Luther, I should say so much about this, is because if you know anything about Luther, if you read any of Luther, you know that Luther was a man who constantly wrestled with the devil, constantly. I mean, in his, in his writings, is constantly talking about the ways that he feels attacked by the devil. So much of Luther's theology is forged by these attacks, and so we're, if we want to learn how to deal with the attacks of the enemy, it's good to look to those who have dealt with it in the past. All right, so we're almost done. Second offensive weapon we have. So we have first the Spirit, sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and then next, prayer. And that's really talked about in verses 18 through 20. Now, I, I think Paul Tripp has it right when he describes prayer this way. Prayer is abandoning my righteousness, admitting my need for forgiveness, and resting in the grace of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, you know what drives me absolutely crazy, just drives me nuts, is when I hear prayer talked about so much as a work that we have to do. Talk about drying, I mean, just destroying a wonderful gift turning it into law rather than this gospel gift that tells us we get to go to the, to the throne of the most high god with our most uh, with our smallest requests bring everything before him at any given time for free and be assured that he's going to hear us and act on our behalf because he loves us what a gift and yet so often i hear the way prayer is talked about as a have to no it's a get to and it's a get to in our battle against an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. It's a gift, thus we should pray in the spirit, as romans eight twenty six describes in this passage says at all times, prayer just means again dependence, it just means dependence on God for what we need and you know for what our friends need for what the people we love need and that's all it is and really that's all we're talking about here so you want to know what it means to stand up against the devil it's really just learning more and more to depend on God's promises actually being real for you yeah what he says in the gospel is true it's real for you Jesus Christ has really accomplished it all and so take up the belt of that truth. Uh, take up the sword of the Spirit. Take up prayer. Take up the helmet of salvation. Take up the breastplate of righteousness. Take up the shoes of peace, the gospel of peace. And go walk in today with confidence that the devil cannot have the final word against you because Jesus has already declared the final word over you. It is finished. All right, gang, that's it. I hope you have a wonderful Christmas. I won't see you next Tuesday because it will be Christmas Day. Um I will I am actually I mean keep an eye out because uh me and Dan and Chad Bird are getting together in oh I think about 5 minutes now to record our special Christmas episode of 40 and 30 minutes in the Old and New Testament where we're going to talk about some prophecies and things um celebrating Christmas and so Keep an eye out for that. That should be coming out later this week. Um, And uh, yeah, that's it, gang. God bless you. Merry Christmas.